Ezekiel 28, uh, we want to first uh, talk about Satan. If we, um, if we don't understand Satan, we won't understand demons. If we don't understand angels, we won't understand demons. And uh, we've talked already a little bit about Satan's fall, but we're going to start there again tonight. And I actually want to start by reading to you from our doctrinal statement, our church's doctrinal statement about Satan. Did you know that our doctrinal statement has a section on Satan? Well, we do. And uh, you see at the top of your handout there, there are six terms that are underlined, and those are all taken from this statement. So I'll just read it to you uh, in full. It's two sentences. It says, We believe Satan is a created being, the author of sin, the tempter in the fall, the declared enemy of God and man, and the God of this age. He shall be eternally punished in the lake of fire. Okay? That's our statement on who Satan is. So we, we believe Satan exists, we believe that he's real, and we believe these specific things. He's a created being, he's the author of sin, he's the tempter in the fall, the enemy of God and man, the God of this age, and he will be eternally punished. So starting in Ezekiel 28, we will see that, that first part, that he is a created being. And so let's go ahead and look at Ezekiel 28. Um, I need to get there myself. And uh, read verses... 11 to, we'll go ahead and do 11 to 15. So would someone read those five verses? Thanks, Rex. Logan's next. He's on deck. (laughs) All right, 11. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up an lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis, the lazuli. Ooh, ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, some better. Hmm. The turquoise, and emerald, and the gold, and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire, and you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. All right. So we actually see the first two points here, uh, points one and two on the left side, the top left of the sheet, that he's a created being and he's the author of sin. Twice in this passage, it says that Satan was created. You see that in verse 13, and you also see that in verse 15. From the day you were created, is what it says. Now this is maybe like a duh point for some of us, but it is really important that you recognize this, because for whatever reason, I know there are some religions out there that teach this, but there's also, I think, maybe just some weird pop culture assumption that people have about Satan, that it's an eternal battle between God and Satan, that uh, they are these equal forces that are co-eternal, but that is not the case. The whole uh, yin-yang thing that's maybe not as popular anymore. It used to be pretty popular, I guess, in the 90s, huh? Evelyn, you know about that, the oh, 90s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have, like, a tattoo of that or anything, do you? Uh, okay, all right. I just had the friendship pieces that would go together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this idea that, like, light and darkness are co-eternal, and they just have this battle, and eventually we hope God will win. Uh, but that is just not the case. From a biblical worldview... God is the only eternal. The triune God is the only eternal. Father, Son, Spirit, all declared to be eternal in Scripture. And Satan, 
The leader of evil is declared to be created. Two times in three verses right here, it is stated that he is a created being. However, you can see all these details that are in verses uh, 11 to 15, that he was in a very privileged position. So even though he was created, it says in verse 12, he had the seal of perfection. I mean, what other creature would you say that about? The seal of perfection. That's amazing. He was full of wisdom. He was perfect in beauty. And he was amongst all these beautiful stones. And he was the cherub that covers, it says in uh, verse 14. He was on the holy mountain of God. He had all the privileges there were to be had by a a creature. But it says in verse 15 that even though he had all of that and he was blameless, there was a day when unrighteousness was found in him. And that is the origin of sin. That's what makes Satan the author of sin. This had to be, of course, before the fall, because Satan is that great serpent of old. He's that great serpent that tempted Eve and Adam in the garden. And uh, so this is happening before then unrighteousness was found in him. Okay? Thoughts or questions on what we're seeing in Ezekiel here? Seem all right? Okay. Oh, yes, Anna. Uh, I'm just a little confused on kind of the context of this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just in general, I don't know my Bible to laugh at me. <laughs> no, no, Ezekiel's, Ezekiel is... Uh, popular, uh, it's popular opinion that Ezekiel's difficult. I should okay. say that. It says on the one again, the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up your lamentation over the king of Tyre yes. and say to him, thus the Lord God. Who, who's talking to who? About yep. whom? Like, how do we know this is about Satan? Like, Okay. <laughs> so we, we touched on this a little bit um, before where you've got spiritual powers at work behind humans a lot of times, especially when it comes to leaders of nations. And we'll get into more of that when we start talking about how demons have their work on the earth. But you have uh, God saying to Ezekiel, go to the king of Tyre and say that I say this. Okay? So that's how it'll play out, is Ezekiel, as a prophet of God, is going to go before the king of Tyre and say, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says this about you. And then he launches into that. Now, as we read through this, And Ezekiel 28 is pretty interesting because not a lot of this could apply to the king of Tyre, right? Um, You were in Eden. No, he wasn't. Um, He had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom. and No, he didn't. He didn't have any of that. So actually, even though you've got a prophet, a man who's a prophet speaking to another man who's a king, you actually have God speaking to Satan. That's what's going on. God is speaking through Ezekiel, and he's speaking to this king to get to Satan, who's behind this king. Satan, who had apparently filled his heart and had been controlling him, which you see happen to other people in the Bible, too. And uh, so this one, it's pretty clear that God's speaking to Satan. There's another passage like it, Isaiah 14, which uh, I actually don't think we're going to get to tonight. But in Isaiah 14, you've got the prophet speaking to the king of Babylon. And there's a lot that could apply to the king of Babylon there, but there's also a lot that seems like, yeah, there's something spiritual going on here too. So that's, that's where we land on that. Okay, so say I'm in like, context with a person, which I probably won't be because I'm not confrontational. Okay. But like, how can I definitively say that there was something spiritual going on and it was pretty much God talking directly to Satan through the king of Tyre? Well, it comes down to um, what is, look, verse 14. What is an anointed cherub? Well, a cherub is an angel, right? 
Um, what does it mean to be in the Garden of Eden? What does it mean to be on the holy mountain of God and to be perfect? Um, that's, that's where you go, to those specific phrases. Yep. Good. Logan. So, I mean, I guess, you know, looking at he was created, um, so in order for him to fall, would have, the, would have hit, uh, he would have had to have been given the choice to choose good and evil. Yes, correct. So he was not on the same plane as, as God. Mm-hmm. And, and the Son of God. Yes. But, he, he's a creature. Yeah. And, and yes, there was that choice. And so we're looking at here in Ezekiel 28, the first domino to fall as far as sin goes. Uh, in theology, it's widely known, no matter really what religion you're a part of, you all have to make sense of the problem of evil, right? What, how, how is there evil in the world if God is good and in control? Where did evil come from? Well, you're looking at it right here, Ezekiel 28. First domino to fall in the whole evil sequence is right here. It says specifically in verse 15, unrighteousness was found in you. So the origin of sin in the created universe is in, in Satan, inside Satan. And he had that choice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John 8.44 is another verse I have on your sheet there for author of sin, that Satan's the author of sin. Listen to what Jesus says. He uh, tells these Jews, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So you've got murderer from the beginning, father of lies, putting him at the origin of sin with those kinds of statements, right? And then there's 1 John 3, 8 also, which I can read to you. Uh, If I can zip to it on my phone here. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So again, there it is, tying it to the origin of sin. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? And then you can couple that with a verse like Habakkuk 1.13. I don't have that one on your sheet, but Habakkuk 1.13 talks about God's eyes. Do you know what it says about God's eyes? His eyes are too pure to look on evil. His eyes are too pure to look on evil. So you've got, on the one hand, Satan, who's a created being, the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. And you've got God, who is eternal, not a creature. He is the eternal creator, whose eyes are too pure to look on evil. Okay, you've got to have that distinction in your, in your mind. Okay? Wasn't, uh, was Michael the equal with Satan? Both being... Well, um, we know Michael went toe-to-toe with Satan once. They got in the ring over the body of Moses. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there could be this idea of chief prince versus chief prince kind of thing. That could be. Uh, because Satan is, again, just a creature. Michael's just a creature. Michael obviously has an elevated position among the created angels. Satan, obviously, has an elevated position among the created uh, angels that are now demons. Um, so it doesn't specifically come out and say that, but I think that's a deduction that you could make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts or questions? Okay. All right. He's also the tempter in the fall. You know this story, Genesis 3, 1 through 4. We don't need to read that one necessarily because you've seen it. 
Um, Satan is that serpent. But what's interesting and what you'll find from certain people out there in the world, let's go to these Revelation verses together, Revelation 12. What you'll find from certain people out there in the world is they'll say, yeah, okay, you go to Genesis and you say Satan deceived Eve, but it never says that that was Satan. Uh, Melissa encountered this once in college. She had a professor that uh, taught that way. It was an English literature class or something and uh, took the whole view of, well, it doesn't say Satan, so it's not talking about Satan. Oh, okay, well, so you got to know why we believe that's Satan. Not just the fact that it's a talking snake tempting a human to disobey God and do evil. I mean, those things are, you know, kind of point us that direction. But let's look at Revelation 12, 9 and Revelation 20, verse 2. Someone want to read 12, 9 for us? Okay. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay, so there he's specifically called a serpent. Okay. He's the serpent of old, which I think probably has some direct connection to Genesis 3, don't you? And Revelation 20, verse 2, gives us basically the same thing. Uh, talks about this angel who laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Okay, so two times in Revelation, he is called the serpent of old, which indicates to us he is that tempter there in the garden. He was the tempter in the fall. Okay? He's also, of course, the declared enemy of God and of man. Would someone grab Matthew 13, 39? Logan and... 1 Timothy 5.14, 1 Timothy 5.14, who's got that? Ellie, thank you. Okay, he's the declared enemy of God and man. And while we're just like doling out verses here, he's the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. Who can get that? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4, Evelyn. 1 John 5.19, I see that hand. Greg, thank you, 1 John 5.19, and Matthew 25.41. Were you raising your hand a minute ago there, Mandy? Thank you, Matthew 25.41. All right, so now we got those squared away. We can just go right down the column on the right there. He's the declared enemy of God and man. Matthew 13, 39. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Hmm. All right, so here Jesus is talking to his disciples about the wheat and the tares. Tares come up with the wheat. So false believers come up with the true believers and blend in. Where did those false believers come from? The enemy, Satan himself. He's the one who sows the tares. 1 Timothy 5.14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage your household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. All right, so here Paul is in the middle of just got given directions to younger widows about how they're to go about their life. And um, boy, tells them to keep house. That would get them canceled today, wouldn't it? And, and then he goes on to say, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach or the adversary, the devil, Satan. So like even in just giving what seems to be kind of like, I don't know, mundane instruction, he's thinking we have this enemy, not just an enemy of God, but an enemy of man who's constantly seeking for an opportunity to take us down. It tells you something about the way we should be thinking, right? Okay. Um, he's the God of this age. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age or the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they won't believe the gospel. He's standing in between them and believing the gospel. He's standing in between them and salvation. That's, again, another uh, outflow of him just being an enemy of God. But he has this authority to do so in the current age. He can even be called the God of this age because God has given him this freedom to, to do this at the present time. You hear something similar in 1 John five nineteen, Greg? We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You sound like that guy from the radio. Yeah, I know, I know a station. <laughs> yeah, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's a creature, and he's been given the whole world into his power. Wow. And then uh, finally, he will be eternally punished. Mandy, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. All right, so you've got the sheep and goat judgment there, sheep on Jesus' right, the goats on the left, and those on his left, he's going to put into the lake of fire, send to the lake of fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. That is their end. And we will look at that more in detail two weeks from tonight when we talk about the punishment, the ultimate punishment of Satan and demons. So there you go. There's a, a breakdown with scriptural evidence of our doctrinal statements uh, articulation of who Satan is. Anything on that before we move on to the next thing and talk about demons? Evelyn. I just find it interesting that uh, like the faith I was raised in, they, they bring Christ lower. Well, they don't start from the right vantage point anyway, but sure. they bring him lower, but elevate Satan to where they were together, and they had this thing, and like it was a whole like mm -hmm. family meeting. I picture, you know what I mean? Like it's just crazy. Like they bring one low, which never be problem. Yes. And elevate one who. Yes. Never be right. That's it. Um, yeah, uh, Jesus and Satan are not brothers. Jesus is not a creature. He's the creator. Meaning, Jesus is the creator of Satan. Okay, all things were made through Christ, visible and invisible, powers and principalities. Okay, so yes, we have to have that proper view. And it, it's very, very sad that people would bring Jesus that low or, and or elevate Satan that high. You know, their thoughts or questions. Okay, well, let's talk about demons. Satan has his own angels who followed his fall. Oh, we do go to Isaiah 14. There it is. Isaiah 14. Let's all go there together um, and check that out. Isaiah 14, verse 13. Another passage that is probably uh, about Satan even more so than it is about the king of Babylon, um, though there is like a, a double thing going on there. But let's look at Satan's desire. The desire that Satan had. Isaiah 14, 13 says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. 
Satan had said in his heart that he was going to exalt himself, basically. There was going to be some self-exaltation happening to where he was going to make himself equal with God. And notice it says that he wants to ascend to heaven. He wants to raise his throne above the stars. He will sit on the mount of assembly. He wants to put himself in a position over others, right? That's what it means to be exalted, is that you're in a position over others. You have authority. You have prominence. And uh, boy, it's not really an election year this year, is it? Say this is 2024. Say fast forward a year from now, November 1st, 2024. We are going to be absolutely sick of politics, aren't we? Uh, next year is going to be a disaster. It's a train wreck, and we're all just kind of observers here. However, what, what do you see over and over again um, from these people who want power over us? They're just campaigning. That's what they do. They campaign. They are out trying to get people won over to their side. And it makes sense if Satan was wanting to have his throne above the stars of God, which may be a reference to angels. If he wants to sit on the mount of assembly, well, who's assembling there? That would be the spiritual beings. If he wants power over them, then he would be campaigning. He's a recruiter. And there's even something in Ezekiel 28 that indicates that a bit. Ezekiel 28, 18, it says that uh, it talks about his trade. And it says, By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. What could Satan's trade have been in his sin? Uh, to me, it seems like one of the few options that you would have there is trying to pull other angels away from worshiping God. His trade would be to lead other angels astray to turn other creatures against their creator just as he turned against his creator. And so um, Satan here, I, I think we can say fairly just by these two accounts of his fall, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, that in his fall he became a recruiter of the angels. Okay, He was someone who recruited the others. And then what you see, of course, in Matthew chapter 4, is he even tried to recruit Jesus. Do you remember that? Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? I mean, it, that is just like the dumbest thing. I mean, that just shows you, that shows you he's not God, right? Because here he is trying to tempt God. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, 8 through 10, I'll just read it for you. It says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Recruiting, see? Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay. So memory verses are important, aren't they? Uh, we want our children to be able to respond that way, right? And to say, uh, wait, no, that's a lie. God's word says this. Um, if Jesus does that, then that's what we should be doing. That's what our, our household should be doing. So Satan is a recruiter of angels. He even tried to recruit Jesus, Anna. No, and we will talk about that in just a moment. You don't have to wait till next week. Just a Yay! moment. Okay. Joseph. Uh, just a quick question. Do you know where Jesus uh, quoted that, like, you shall worship the God alone? What verse he was quoting? Yeah. It's Deuteronomy. Let's see. 6.13. And, well, it says 6.13 and 10.20. Um, so, it, let's see. 6.13 and 10.20. How about that? I'll give you those and you figure it out. Okay? <laughs> it gives me both. Okay? 
Other thoughts or questions on Satan being a recruiter for his army. Our human armies recruit. Satan does so for his army. Yeah, Joanna. Does he like recruit people? Yeah. Yes. I mean, well, Jesus, right? The example with Christ. Um, yeah. I mean, he was recruiting Christ in the flesh. Um, we'll see again. This is two weeks. Uh, the lesson I made today that I'm teaching in two weeks is uh, Satan fills people's hearts. You know, he filled Judas's heart. He filled Ananias's heart. When we get to Revelation, we see the beast and the false prophet. He's filling them, giving them power. So, yes. Yep. Other thoughts or questions? Yes, Dory. How much power does Satan have in a believer? Mm-hmm. Now, that one you got to wait like a month for. Okay? We are going to get to that. We're going to do a whole lesson on, on what Satan and demons do to unbelievers and then another whole lesson on what Satan and demons do to believers. And I need more study on that. Because okay, um, with unbelievers, it's pretty clean cut about what can happen. We have lots of examples and stuff. With believers, there's a lot of debate. And it's, it's kind of difficult to try to figure that out. And uh, some theologians have tried to explain it in ways that kind of make you feel more confused after you're done <laughs> than when you went into it. So, but we will. We're going to spend a whole class on that. Yep. It's good. What else? Brandon? It's like the... Here's a silver-tongued devil, and he's got to be really good with words and tricking people. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I would think you'd come harder at people who are believers mm-hmm. than he does after the common. I mean, even more temptation thrown at you and more. Yeah. He's, he's got to be pretty cunning to fool that many angels to yes. come with you. Well, yeah, and we just looked at Second uh, Corinthians 11 not that long ago on Sunday mornings that... Even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a, he's a trickster. He's a de- deceiver, right? But, uh, yeah. Yep, it's um, one of these days his silver tongue will turn to rust. So, to quote a Jim Croce line there. Okay. <laughs> Evelyn. I'll tell my mom. Said that. Yeah, good. Favorite. Yeah, me and Lorna, we go no, way back. Yeah. <clears throat> Like, does Satan, like, it seems so dumb. <laughs> like, does he know he's, I mean, because yeah. obviously he's... Yeah, he, he, he knows, he's, know, he knows he's, he's done. Does he, knows he, he knows yeah. he's done? Well, he's yeah, let me show you a verse. Uh, <laughs> like, I know he's tricky. I'm just saying, yes. like, that just seems so stupid. But he's it's prideful like, and arrogant. And right. He doesn't, but he doesn't like, know all that he knows. Like, he thinks, like, God does. He still thinks he can win. Turn, turn with me real quick to Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 29. Let's but look at that. the Bible, which is... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. It's a really good question. Um, no, it's a very logical question. It's like, okay, if, if, if Satan knows he's toast, then what's, what's he doing here, right? If, and if he knows that Jesus is God, if he knows that God is one and the demons shudder knowing that God is one, what are they doing? Uh, here, here's another interesting verse. Um, Matthew 8, 29. This is with the uh, legion, the man with many demons. That they, this is verse 29, the demons cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Mm. What time are they talking about? Mm. The time of their ultimate defeat. 
So they know there's a time of ultimate defeat, and yet they're still doing stuff. And so um, I actually just read, you know, one man's theory on this today, why they're still trying to do stuff when they know they're defeated. And uh, basically, he tied it to this idea of the fullness of the Gentiles. The church exists until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And there's also the times of the Gentiles, and those are two different things. Jesus talked about how Jerusalem is going to be trampled until the times of the Gentile are complete. Then there's this other idea that Paul brings in in Romans 11 about the church, that the church is going to continue on until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel will be saved. Well, they, the demons know and Satan knows that during this time of the Gentiles or the time of the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, this is their opportunity to bring others down with them, to have any kind of activity, to be free. I mean, right now, we're going to look here in a moment. Many are free. Not all are confined. So they're actually free. That time down the road, they're going to be in, a, in an abyss, and they'll never be able to do anything again. They'll go to the lake of fire and never be able to do anything again. So now is their time to be active, and that's why they're going for it. So was he just hoping that like, the, his humanity would take... Because that's just what doesn't... Like us, it's not hard to trick us. Yeah. Like, well, hey, what is that, what's that Wayne Gretzky quote? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Maybe that was his mentality. Yeah. I, could be the, I could be the one here that brings down the Son of God. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I go back to 4 1 2 here? Matthew 4 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by, uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he touched by the devil. So remember, the Holy Spirit's leading him there. And so, yeah, there's both Satan is tempting Jesus. It's a chess match. He's being led there by the Holy Spirit. And remember, looking forward to Hebrews 4, he is a sympathetic high priest who's been tempted in all ways as we are, yet yeah. without sin. Yeah. So all of this is to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, someone who's a really skilled politician, they'll say he's playing 4D chess. You know, he's just like thinking. Well, yeah, God's got one. He's one move ahead of Satan all the time one move ahead. He's infinitely ahead, right? But um, yes, so there's a purpose in the temptation too, teaching us that Jesus was tempted um, and didn't sin. It's kind of like too, at the end of his, toward the end of his life when he's praying in the garden, why did Jesus pray if this cup passed from me, let it be? Well, yeah, so there there are a couple things going on there. Because one, it's like, on the one hand, it's like, well, he came here to die. He knew that. He, He prophesied that multiple times and he was willing to die but it does teach us how to pray. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Gives us an example for prayer. It also teaches us there is no other way. He asked the Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass. There is no other way. It has to be through Jesus. So in these events, not only do we just have people who happen to be in certain places going through certain things, but there are lessons baked into that. Andy. So what occurs to me is as fallen humans, but as God's redeemed people, we know um, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we are sinning against God. And it's, it's a battle internally. Mm-hmm. What I kind of envision, though I can't place a scripture verse or verses, is there is no battle in Satan's heart mm-hmm. at all. Right. He's, he's just... All in. Romans 7, Paul, that which I long to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep right. doing. That's not going on in Satan's Not heart. at all. No. no. Not at all. So, yes, he's smart. Yes, he can see and understand things that we can't understand, but he's, he's committed. Yes. He is thoroughly, completely perverse. Yeah. Yeah. He has no other direction. 
No. He's unredeemable. Yeah. That's it. To me, I mean, to me, when you talk, start talking about his logic or his thinking, I can't even imagine being in heaven observing whatever's going on with God yeah. and saying, I'm going to be greater than you. I mean, right. there's, there's something in his makeup that we totally don't understand. Well, <laughs> and pr pr pride is always... Uh, that one we get. Outlandish, isn't it? <clears throat> that one we get. And it's always more outlandish than we, we realize in the moment. But, um, Okay, so Satan is the uh, recruiter of angels, and he's the ruler of those who did fall with him, the ruler of demons. Matthew chapter 12, 22 through 29, we see this kind of language being used. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and read that passage. Matthew... 12, 22 to 29. Someone want to read those eight verses for us? Okay, go ahead. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If by... I just said it before. above cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. Okay. So you have here in this discussion an assumption. I mean, it's stated a couple of times here, but it's basically like an underlying assumption that they all agree on, that you have Beelzebul. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know if I got it right. I'm just... Um, <laughs> Another name for Satan, the devil, who is the ruler of the demons, verse 24. The ruler of the demons, okay? And uh, Jesus indicates that they're talking about Satan there, verse 26. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. So Satan is the ruler of the demons. So he recruited the angels. He now rules those angels who fell. And we have one passage in Scripture that perhaps indicates how many of the angels fell, and that's Revelation 12. So I'll read that for us, and then I'll pause again for some thoughts and questions. But Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, it says, Another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And then in verse 7, 7 to 9, it says, There was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And so that's another one of those places, Rex, where you could see perhaps maybe uh, opposite but equal, Michael and Satan. Michael and his angels, the dragon and his angels. Okay. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old is called the devil and Satan, which we looked at earlier. So you've got this 
talk of a dragon who is Satan sweeping away a third of the stars of heaven. Stars we've already seen in this study is another term for angels that's used. And it just goes on to talk about from there the dragon and his angels. And so it seems as though um, when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. We don't know the total number of angels. Therefore, we don't know how much a third of the angels is. But uh, if that's indeed referring to angels the whole way through, even when it says stars, a third of the stars, a third of the angels fell with Satan. Okay. Oh, Zechariah 13, we'll talk about that, yeah. Two-thirds of the, uh, of the Jews, as they go through the fire, two-thirds will be cut off from the land, and a third will come through, yeah, mm-hmm. during the tribulation. Other thoughts, questions? Okay. Well, it does, uh, I'll go ahead, Logan. Yes. Good and evil. I'm not sure if I totally understand that mm-hmm. because that was a lie. Mm. But well, it was partially a lie. Yeah. Because you know, at the end, um, at the end of the uh, the whole ordeal there, verse 22 of Genesis 3, the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil." Yeah. So. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. Because Satan, of course, said he was going to be like God, and he, what he meant was, I'm going to have authority and rule. And uh, he failed in that, and being the father of lies, he propagated that lie then to Eve, and they took it hook, line, sinker. But there were effects with their knowledge there, wasn't Which there? Which he does have authority and rule over his own mm-hmm. you know, realm. So. Yes, true. Yeah. Okay. All right, so... Um, I will say it does seem, based on the Revelation 12 account, from my view, it does seem to be talking about the angels, that Satan took a third of the angels, and that seems to be the, the moment. There was one moment where the angels here had this choice, and that was it. You don't have this kind of event being revisited or, or redone at any time in biblical history. Uh, you just have this event as it's laid out here, as it happened. And uh, there doesn't seem to be a continual falling of angels. This was it. Okay. So going back to your question from earlier, Anna, that's where I would land on that. Okay. Joseph? Do you know like uh, other people that believe that angels are continually falling? I've not heard anybody teach that. No. I know like one person that believes they're still falling. So oh, really? No. I was just curious. Huh. No, no. I hadn't, I hadn't heard anybody teach that. Okay. Yeah. I just think that... Personally, I think that's kind of weird because it's like, hello, you know what Satan's uh, fate is like. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. It just seems awesome. <laughs> it does. It seems strange. And and what's let's revisit a little bit of our theology on angels. Why did those two thirds not fall? Ultimately. Very good. First Timothy chapter five, I think it was. First Timothy five. They are elect. They are chosen of God. Okay. Um, so you've got angels who are elect and you've got angels who are evil. And those evil ones are now referred to as demons. Okay. All right. So now here's where things get really interesting as we start studying demons specifically. And uh, next week it's going to get 
out of my depth a bit. We're going to be talking about the Nephilim and the Rephaim and the Anakim. So brace, we all need to brace ourselves for that one. Um, but uh, for tonight, this is where we'll, we'll finish. Some demons are free and some are confined. And this is interesting stuff. So when we first think about uh, so Satan himself, we know that Satan is free, don't we? Uh, you, you see Job 1 and 2, and God says uh, to Satan, uh, where have you been? And what was his response? Roaming the earth, right? Um, he's, just, he's just roaming the earth. In 1 Peter 5, 8, that's another reference I have for you there, all the way into the New Testament. What does Peter say our adversary, the lion, does? Yeah, that's right. He's prowling around. And, of course, the whole world lies in his power. He's the God of this age. All that indicates freedom for Satan for now. Now, that's, of course, determined by God. God has determined his boundaries. But within those boundaries, he has significant freedom. Okay. Um, I also have in my notes here Luke twenty-two thirty-one, and I don't remember what that says, so I should go over there and read it real quick. Luke 22. Oh, yeah. This is... Whew. I can't imagine hearing this from Jesus. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Well, so even though he's free, he still has to ask permission for certain things, at least, okay? Some things apparently he doesn't have to ask permission for, like um, the parable of the soils. The bird comes and snatches the seed away. The bird is the devil, and apparently he's free to go snatch those seeds away. Um, but here, Simon, Satan has demanded permission, not asked permission, demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Wow. Okay. Um, making sense that Satan is free? Melissa? Is that a, what was the reference for that? 20, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Is that the same context as the get behind me, Satan? Um, I don't think Luke's account has get behind me, Satan. No, that's Matthew 16. Are you thinking, Tyler? Yeah, okay. Man, look at, he's got the harmony of the Gospels timeline chrono, chronologically all up there. Way to go. So, are you about to prove me wrong? No, I just I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, well, again, when we <laughs> get to the lesson on what demons and what Satan can do to believers, we'll get into that a little bit. No, that's a good one I need to write down and make sure we include that one because that hasn't really been on my radar. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got Ananias where Peter, again, Peter now is on the scene, and he says to Ananias, Satan has filled his heart. And Ananias was a believer in the church. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Wow. Yeah, might say so. We'll talk more about that later. We'll talk about that tonight. Cut right on. <laughs> <laughs> Quit showing me up in that Wednesday night class. <laughs> okay, other thoughts on Satan's freedoms? Good? Go ahead. So they are restricted. He has to get permission to do what he does. Really yes. Job, and it still right. tells him to not kill him. And he, he, so no matter what he does, he, 
He has to be allowed by God to do it. Yes, that's it. Again, that, that Luther quote I shared on Sunday, the devil is the Lord's devil. Um, he's on a leash, and God's holding the leash, right? He's a creature. Well, um, as, far, as for demons, some demons have freedom to move about. Um, like the unclean spirits that we see so much of in the Gospels, and this is more of a deduction than a, a verse that plainly directly teaches this, but unclean spirits are just coming and going. Um, unclean spirits enter a person. Like Remember Jesus' uh, story where he says, you got one spirit that comes in, looks around, says, hey, it's empty, and he goes back and he grabs seven more, and they come back. Okay, there's just that freedom there that they have. Some have that freedom, and we'll uh, look at those specifically the next two weeks from the Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to look at the activity of demons, and we're, of course, talking about those that are free to be active. There are those demons, however, that are confined. There are some that are described as confined in the New Testament, and you've got three places where they get confined. You've got the abyss, okay? You have... Isn't this weird? You have the Euphrates River. Wow. Euphrates River. Not the Nile, but the Euphrates. Okay. And then you have the, um, this place called Tartarus. That's the Greek word for it. Um, and a lot of our Bibles just translate it Tartarus, but I'm going to call it uh, prison. That's the way it gets translated sometimes. Okay. So you have these three places, and I believe this is the best we can do as far as uh, saying the distinct confinements that are described. There's a, there's a chance that prison and abyss are the same, but I don't think they are, and we'll talk about that. But let's first look at the abyss. So would someone get Luke 8, 28 to 31? Luke 8, 28 to 31. Tyler's got it. Revelation 9, 1 through 11. Who's got that? Revelation 9, 1 through 11. Mandy. And then Revelation 20, 1 to 3. Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3. Evelyn. So all three of these passages are about the abyss. Let's, uh, let's hear what's going on. Go ahead, Tyler. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him, and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I thank you, do not torment him. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the men, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Okay. So there is the abyss mentioned there, and they didn't want to go there. Revelation 9, 1 through 11. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In mm. appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, 
their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek he is called Apollyon. Woo! Okay, so you've got a bottomless pit opened, also called an abyss. In the New American Standard, verse 11, it says the abyss. And the angel is, there's a certain angel who has this name, who's king over them in the abyss. These are demons described as locusts who come out at a certain time and wreak havoc. You've heard of the, uh, you know, the four living creatures in Revelation that we've looked at before who were crazy looking. Well, often we forget about these locusts and how crazy looking they are. They're pretty, pretty wild. Um, wow. Okay. The abyss mentioned there. And then also Revelation 20, 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. All right, so the abyss here is described as, and this is really non-theological language, it's a holding tank <laughs> for demons and uh, later Satan at the uh, thousand years. So you have the locusts coming out of the abyss. They were there for a time and then they were let out. You've got Satan being put in there, but it's for a thousand years, and half a thousand years, he'll be let out. So that's why I'm saying holding tank, you know. I, could, I think I'll send that to Westminster Seminary, see if they want to publish that. That's uh, just really profound theological stuff there, okay? So uh, that's what's going on with the abyss. Now, I want to go ahead and just describe these other two places and look at these passages before we kind of round up with some questions. If you're in Revelation with us, go back to Revelation 9, and this is where you get the Euphrates River stuff. So we were just in Revelation 9, looking at the locusts, and now in Revelation 9, it talks about a place other than the abyss, talks about this river. Revelation 9.13, it says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. <laughs> Woo, Revelation is just a roller coaster, isn't it? Wow, wow. There are four angels who were prepared for that time to be released and kill a third of mankind. God, God's the uh, inventor of math, so, yeah. <clears throat> yes. They are bound at the great river Euphrates. Um, now, it does say angels um, instead of demons. It says, uh, 
you know, perhaps could use other terms. But angels who are bound, um, yeah, that, that would lead me to think that we're talking about fallen angels there. Okay, and then there's this place called Tartarus, or your translations might say prison. Two main passages on that. We've got 2 Peter 2.4. Who can get 2 Peter 2.4 for us? Melissa. And then Jude. Jude is just one chapter. So Jude verses 5 through 7. Jude 5 through 7. Brandon. Go ahead, Brandon. Um, Melissa, 2 Peter 2.4 when you got it. And then Brandon, Jude 5 through 7. Okay, yeah, see, it's kind of like a half of a thought. Sorry about that. But there are angels, what does it say that they're held by? Chains of gloomy darkness. Okay, and then uh, Jude 5 through 7 there, Brandon. I desire to remind you Though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulging gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Okay, so um, you have... Uh, Melissa, are you still in Second Peter 2.4? I'm sorry. Well, um, it, I am curious. You've got your ESV there, right? New American Standard says that God cast these angels who fell into hell. What does the ESV say? It says hell with a little note, and the note says Greek Tartarus. Yeah, and this is the, uh, the only place where Tartarus, specifically that word, is used. Um, so hell is one way to translate it, but I think it's something different. I think prison would be a better translation. But it's a place where angels who, as Jude says, did not keep their proper abode, but they fell, they sinned. And they've been held by chains of gloomy darkness in this place um, called Tartarus. Now, the reason why I don't believe this prison or Tartarus is the same as the abyss is because you have people coming out of the abyss for certain purposes. Whereas here it says they're kept there until the, the end. They're kept there until the day. Okay. Now, there are some people who would say, yeah, they're kind of the same, or this is like a compartment within the abyss or whatever, but, I mean, we can't really get more detailed than that. Um, I do have on your sheet there 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, um, just to add, this may be, as we're speaking of this prison, this Tartarus place, this may be where Jesus went after he died and before he rose from the dead, where he proclaimed his victory. It says in 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, 
in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Okay? And so you've got this proclamation here uh, that Jesus is making between his death and resurrection to the spirits in prison. And these spirits are fallen angels who fell in the days of Noah. Um, you know that in those days it was super evil on the face of the earth, all kinds of terrible things going on. And the angels that fell left their proper abode to go to prison. So they've been there thousands of years. Long time. Long time. Chains of gloomy darkness. Okay? So those are your, uh, your four confinements presently for angels. The only one we get a number on is right here, four angels. Um, and then you've got abyss and prison. So, Okay, thoughts or questions on demons being confined, some demons being confined? Or is it just crystal clear? Sorry, we didn't understand the Euphrates River as the actual place of the Euphrates River. Yeah, it would seem that way. Yep. Um, if it didn't mean Euphrates River, I don't know what it would mean. We could go some weird places with that. But, so yeah. that's, there's a train of thought out there talking about the Euphrates River drying up. Mm. And somebody that claims you can already hear the voice of the demons. I didn't look into it because oh. it was probably malarkey. But. Well, it is interesting. Uh, Jesus talks about demons like to pass through waterless places. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how uh, all that fits in. Yeah, I not Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that is just the thing that this study on angels and demons does to you. It brings you so close to like knowing something profound, but then it just leaves out some details. And you're like, oh, it's just what? You're so close. We're right there. Yeah. Okay. It's not for us to know. That's it. Though we, we do know that not all demons are free. Okay. Some are confined. Yet many are free. And there's a whole lot we're going to look at in the next two weeks. Woo-wee. There's a lot that demons are doing. Next week will just be the Old Testament. And then the week after that, we'll do uh, New Testament. Logan. Um, so I want to jump up to the Satan's sin. Um, so is he really the author? He created sin. Yeah, he's the originator. He's that first domino. So, but... So th this wasn't God's second plan, though. No. Like this was His initial. Correct. Plan, yes. Was so, that? Yeah. So I'm gonna. There is sin that they can choose mm -hmm. in their life. Yep. Yep. So really, God created that choice for them. Yeah. Oh, totally. It, that didn't he fall outside of His control sin. at all. It, it didn't fall out His ordaining will of all things. I mean, think of. Uh, I believe it's 1 Peter 1.20 that says Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Well, how's that? That's because this is all God's plan. Right. Yeah. But, but his eyes are too pure to look on evil. He is not the originator of evil. He's not the, uh, the um, cause as far as like he morally failed in some way. Okay. Um, it... it the responsibility all falls back onto Satan as the author of evil. Good. Other thoughts or questions? Maybe one more? Okay. All right. That couldn't tempt you. All right. Well, we better, we better stop there then. Thanks for hanging in there through this study. And uh, it will get heavy. It continue to get heavier and heavier as we talk about 
demons, and we start talking about what demons do to people today. Um, it's important that we look at this, though, and equip ourselves to be alert. I think it was just this last Sunday, right, uh, in Mark? Tyler, there in the Gospel of Mark, be alert, be alert, be alert. How can you be alert if uh, you're asleep or you're ignorant? Okay, so let's equip ourselves to think rightly and to see things rightly. Jim? I've heard what Logan was saying. I've heard people make that argument that God created Satan and he knew he was going to do it. He created him to do it. And so they're saying God created sin or evil. But that's kind of like saying God made me and I'm sinful. So it's not my fault. God made me this. Yeah, thing. right. Yeah, you, I mean, you could pawn anything off yeah. uh, that way if you wanted to. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it seems like a fine line, but it's you know, it's it's a matter of the individual taking responsibility. Yes. For who he is. Yes, that's right. And uh, yeah, God made me a sinful man, but when I sin, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Exactly. My mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. Well, let's pray, and then we'll we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much that you are stronger than our enemy, that you have uh, all power and wisdom, and that you've chosen to adopt us, to make us your own. Lord, uh, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would help us to honor you rightly in the way we live our lives, that we would not be overcome with evil, but that we would overcome evil with good. God, we thank you for the, the power that we have by your spirit, the power of your word, And ask your blessing on the rest of this week until we meet again, that we would serve you well as your ambassadors out there in the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.